if you applied for a date in Ravindra Kalakshetra today, you will get a date after three months, and you will get only one date, which means you could only do four shows in a year. And I came from a Bombay where I was doing a minimum of at least twenty-five shows a month. We have to work towards. at least making this city have a couple of smaller theaters where you don't need to fall into the trap of thousand seats that you have to fill smaller theaters so that we can do more shows welcome to indian entrepreneur i am your host shwet nag on today's episode we have mrs arundhati nag founder of rangashankara and managing trustee of the sanket trust Mrs Arundhati Nag needs little or no introduction to the people in the theater space. Mrs Nag received Sangeet Natak Academy award in 2008 for acting. In 2010 she was conferred with Padma Shri award by the government of India. So let's listen to Mrs Arundhati Nag on what keeps her positive and what challenges she faced in building Rangashankara. My survival kit I don't have memory for uh, sad things i think that's a very human trait for survival mine is a little heightened so uh, i remember that somebody caused me pain but i won't remember the details so if i have a fight with you i will never remember the details i won't be able to say you said this and that is why i said that i will only be able to say to you that you caused me pain So, <laughs> that is part of my survival kit and i've been able to look at people who are worse off than me always uh, i have seen the other side and said oh my god i'm so so much better than the others do you practice spirituality no no but i think life has beaten me into seeing the spiritual aspect of life i was uh, so much of a butterfly that i i had no time to think about serious things in life and then it came like an avalanche on me and it was like enlightenment <laughs> coming <laughs> <laughs> and and also life has a way of you know like really beating you slowly 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 teaching you the right way teaching you the right way showing you how you've been wrong or you've been right yes so i guess that's that spirituality and i learned a lot of uh, if that is spirituality then i learned a lot of it from uh, of course my parents but more importantly my mother in law shankar's mother was this amazing person who was like a lotus leaf It was just there and not there. Yeah. Could you tell us about your childhood? Uh, how you ventured into theater? Ordinary, uh, simple, middle class home. Uh, father working in the government. Two older brothers and one younger sister. Uh, but I was the daughter who was born after two boys, so I was uh, quite reckless. I had to re- survive my two older brothers. and uh, i was of course the darling of the house and we were born in delhi 
So uh, it was not a house of extravagance, but it was not a house where anybody was starving. It was a home that always had enough for uh, re poor re poorer relatives to come and find a job in Delhi and my father would get them a job and uh, my mother would sleep in the kitchen so that the visitor could sleep in the bedroom. And uh, these were values that, were, that you were watching unfolding in front of you. And uh, I guess every, every good middle-class home gives out these values to the children without underlining them as moral science classes. <laughs> and a happy childhood where the parents also were very happy and not ambitious people. My father was in the government and uh, not corrupt, which was a very rare thing. A rare thing now, but 60 years ago, government servants were not corrupt. The license Raj had not yet begun in India and uh, people felt very proud about the country, the nation that they were building. So they were part of a nation building process. And I think my father was among that cadre of government servants. So Delhi was a happy place to be growing up in a government colony in Delhi where you had a pan-Indian presence of a Bengali neighbor, a Malayali neighbor, and everybody had left their own states. And we were speaking Hindi because we, we could not be talking to one another in our mother tongues. It was a lovely exposure to being Indian, to being Indian really. And also watching the Chinese aggression at that time, being in Delhi, uh, the Pakistan war being fought, a suddenly a sense of nation coming up in, and I was hardly maybe eight years old when this happened. But these are events which are recorded in my psyche. That uh, sense of nation, sense of country. Today, at my age, I feel uh, we don't need it, really. We are all part of one huge globe, and we better stop behaving parochial as far as nationhood is concerned. But at that time, I think uh, that's how it was. It was uh, India and Pakistan trying to show their, flex their muscles and say, I exist. And we were the chill post-midnight uh, midnight freedoms children who were uh, experiencing a new India. So I guess I'm, I'm a child who was born in 1956, which is really the post-independence children. We got to see a lot of the nation building that was happening inadvertently it was affecting us and then I get to act because I have been part of this melting pot of the Delhi government colony uh, my father of course left the government because a set of the industrial lobby in uh, India got to him and said um, you know Murthy either you become corrupt or you leave the government and it's so, so beautiful that my father left the government job because becoming corrupt was not an option. Mm -hmm. And he left the job with the government of India and went to the private sector in Bombay and was working with an association over there of automobile manufacturers. So I'm the daughter of an extremely upright, proud government servant of India. And uh, I have tried to live by some values that I got 
then. Come to Bombay and uh, my knowledge of Hindi becomes so important because uh, I'm thrown into uh, a city that has Maharashtrians and uh, they want to know whether I'm a Maharashtrian or a South Indian because my surname is Rao, it's misleading. It, people think I'm a South Indian, especially the Maharashtrians. And I didn't even know Marathi. My mother did not teach us Marathi. She allowed us to speak Hindi because we were in Delhi. Mm. And it was so beautiful that when we used to, after we came to Bombay, we used to go home and ask our mother, Amma, which caste do we belong to? And our mother would say, you must always say that you're an Indian. And, you know, you don't get wow. by with that. The world of children is sometimes even more cruel than the world of adults mm. because they are really taking their cues in a very crystallized form from the grown-up world. That's why it's so important what we speak in front of our children and what we say and how we behave. And children are unforgiving. The children in my school refused to take my answer of saying that I am an Indian. They wanted to know whether I was a Maharashtrian. If I said I was a Maharashtrian, they said, no, you are a South Indian. They wanted to know if I was a Brahmin. And if I said, yes, I think I am a Brahmin. They said, well, you eat meat. That means you're not a Brahmin. You know, it was quite a, quite a childhood, I must say. Mm. Fighting my way and uh, then actually realizing that uh, the world of theater was what was calling me or the world of impersonating was calling me. So uh, when I came to Bombay, I started taking part in debates, in elocution competitions because I knew Hindi and English and spoke them fairly well, better than the others in my school maybe. And uh, I got to act in a play in the school annual day functions. That's the normal thing that happens to any child. I don't think anything abnormal happened to me. I got a role in a play which was based on uh, Victor Hugo's Bishop's Candlesticks, okay. which later went on to become the famous uh, Broadway hit called Les Miserables. It's it is still running in... Uh, London. So I got to play this uh, role in uh, the one-act play of Bishop's Candlesticks. And uh, it's so uncanny. Many years later, I get to see Les Miserables. I become a fan of Victor Hugo's. I read his poems. I'm influenced by his life. And I get to play Shakespeare. I get to play uh, Othello. I did Des Desdemona. And little did I know that uh, this Shakespeare was going to play a very big life uh, part in my life later by <laughs> the kind of theater that we do. So after that, I went on to join the Indian People's Theater Association, which is, uh, was a left of center ideological theater being uh, practiced in India in the just the pre-independence India. Yeah, so these were a group of intellectuals who had got together and believed that it was time for the colonial masters to leave. And it was a pan-Indian movement. So whether it was Ravi Shankar or Satyajit Rai or Ritwik Ghatak or Balrad Sahani, 
everybody but everybody who was in any way connected with higher thought or creativity was part of this movement, which was called the Indian People's Theatre Movement. And they were doing plays in small towns. They were doing plays in the mills of Bombay and trying to get the message out to the labor class about the kind of exploitation that capitalism was up to. And uh, it is very uncanny because by now I was a teenage girl. I had finished my school. I was in college and uh, I belonged to a home which was very pro-USA. You had only two uh, enemies, no, in those days. You had USA and you had Russia. Yes, yes. <laughs> and <laughs> there, was, there was a little bit of China somewhere yeah. in global news. And uh, either you were capitalist or you were communist. Yes. There were only two ways of being. Correct. And uh, this was a left of center ideology theater. And uh, my father definitely was a right of center ideology person. These were the people who dreamt of the new India, the secular India, the democratic India. And uh, my brothers were, of course, of course, uh, in love with uh, Biggles and uh, the Yankees and the American, the great American star-spangled dream out there and here was me going and joining a group of people who were called the red flag people. Yeah. So it was, that was the beginning of dissent in my life. They were, my parents and my family was extremely worried about me becoming a radical uh, communist and uh, maybe also very afraid that I would uh, go and marry somebody who was, beyond our own religious faith. Yeah. Mm. There was this fear that I would go and marry someone who was not a Hindu. Because most of the people in our theater group, for every Hindu, there was a Muslim in the group. Okay. <laughs> it was so beautifully <laughs> secular. Yeah, it yeah. was very dangerous, very dangerous to have your daughter go into this space, into this space of freedom, into this space that inculcated individuality, encouraged a voice, even though they, my family encouraged uh, me having a voice, me having an independent voice or individuality, uh, that was kind of surface level, you know? We, many of us uh, middle-class human beings, I think these middle-class values are common everywhere. Uh, they pretend to be uh, very, very, what do you call it, uh, uh, liberal. Yeah. They say, oh, I, I'm very liberal. I allow my wife to have a glass of wine. <laughs> allow is the underlined patriarchal <laughs> word. <laughs> I, am, I am very liberal. I don't mind if my daughter has a love marriage. Now, these, this is the male uh, voice that speaks through in society and says that, oh, we are liberal. We don't mind our daughter acting in dramas, but we are very worried that uh, our daughter is getting into a space which is about an ideology, has a political view, or uh, even a view about her independent decision of marriage and things like that. 
so that was the beginning of actually the formation of my character becoming an extremely outspoken articulate adolescent growing up in bombay very nice. i had a great great time fighting for my rights out there in the theater being a girl being a, a demanding girl not not taking things lying down ever and then demanding my rights at home also very interesting very interesting in in a, in, a, in a nutshell in a nutshell that's that was the journey so it was it was not easy because uh, mm. i don't blame my parents at all they were liberal they they were very happy that i was talented but uh, they were worried they yeah. were really worried and uh, for a girl who had to come home when this you know the normal street lights coming on meant the girl child of the house had to be in the house before the street lights come on that was the rule it is still the rule in many uh, homes in india the male child can loiter around on the street but the female child must come home by the time the street lights are on and i joined a hobby or a profession where the street lights came on and only after that the rehearsals would begin <laughs> yeah <laughs> so in fact my uh, mother had uh, made it a kind of a condition she said somebody must come to leave you home because i would come home at 9 60 years ago 50 years ago coming home at 9 o'clock was very late very very late so when i came home my mother insisted on seeing the face of the person who dropped me home she said it's not enough for the person to drop you on the road the person has to drop you to the door show me his face and then go yeah so it is it's come a very very long way was it relatively <laughs> safe back then uh, compared to what it is today like bombay is a safe place bombay is not bombay a, is a dangerous safe. place okay. yes bombay is safe and i grew up uh, very dangerously and somehow survived <laughs> without an incident in my life <laughs> okay very very dangerously yes yeah. yes so uh, one cannot resist from speaking of mr shankar nag and his work while talking to you uh, could you share with us any memories from the making of malgudi days ah malgudi days yes i guess that's a, that's a love child for shankar also because uh, it came at such an opportune moment in his life yeah so i think everyone who knows shankar's uh, the trajectory of his life again uh, middle class home very spiritual parents very little money at home it was not a house of uh, they never had enough i came from enough he came from never had enough and so even his uh, getting him an education was not an easy job and i came from a home which wanted me to be educated and uh, i was so flippant because i had so much that i did not take the education but shankar was actually working in bank of india as a clerk while he was studying in college yeah so in a nutshell this is a boy from a home where things did not come easily he had mm. to work for it yes and uh, the theater also came out of uh, the same need to 
to forget where you come from, to be, to impersonate, to become somebody else. Or everybody has this desire and some of us have it more active than the others. So Shankar uh, also went on to act in a movie that was Vandanandu Kaladili. He, his first movie got him this great recognition. He, he got the best actors award at an international film festival. And then there was no looking back. Mm. After that, he did a commercial Kannada movie, Sita Ramu, which became a super hit. And he became the swashbuckling fighting hero of the Kannada industry for many, for the next 10 years, you can say. Mm. But Shankar was basically a boy who grew up reading Dostoevsky and uh, wow. reading Stanislavski and Jean-Paul Sartre and Albert Camus. These were the books he was reading. He was reading, uh, listening to Tchaikovsky and Beethoven and wow. Bimsen Joshi. And suddenly he found himself in the popular Indian cinema mold where he was doing five fights in a movie and six songs around trees, which was completely against the kind of belief system that he came from. So uh, for him, it was very, very difficult, very difficult to dance around trees, very difficult initially. It took him quite a few years to actually convince himself that this is commercialism and I have to, this can only allow me this much of uh, naturalism in the art and uh, I remember once talking to him when he came home almost in tears and saying that what am I doing what am I doing with my art I feel like a prostitute sometimes which was when I said to him that you know if that is how you feel then you must stop doing it because we can continue to do our uh, Dostoevsky's and Karnad's and not earn money and uh, not earn as much money as you do in the movies, but uh, don't come home crying. Mm. And only if you enjoy it, will we be able to continue. So I did tell him, just see how Amitabh Bachchan enjoys dancing around trees. Do you think he enjoys it really? <laughs> Because he's an intelligent guy. So only if you enjoy it, will life be worth it. Yeah. And I think that went home. Uh, he began to enjoy his career. But at the same time, there was always this feeling that, my God, I practiced realism in my art and I'm not getting to do it anymore. Here comes this offer of uh, Mr. Narsiman, T.S. Narsiman. He was a close friend of R.K. Narayan's and he had got the rights for Malgudi days. So they called Shankar and uh, Narsiman said to him, will you make a serial out of this? Out of the blues. <clears throat> and those were not the days of mobile phones. So uh, Shankar came home. We live on a farm. And those days the farm was really the boondocks. No electricity, no telephone, nothing at all. So he came home and he jumped out of the car and he was almost dancing. He said, guess what? Guess what? You know, we've got an opportunity to do Malgudi days, R.K. Narayan stories. We can make it into a television serial. He was 
out oh. of his breath. He was like a child, almost down to tears. He said, you know, we won't have to put fights in it. You know, we won't have to put songs in it. <laughs> and we can, we can do it the way he has written it. So that, I think that was the clincher. That was the clincher for him. It was his life's dream. And uh, he gave it everything. He gave it his all. He uh, got his dream team together. Mm-hmm. He had everyone who really he wanted on that team, whether it was Ramchandra, his cameraman, and his editor, his assistant director, Ramesh Bhatt, Kashi, uh, uh, my sister, Padmavati Rao. He had a dream team, which if he was alive today, he would not have been able to put a team like that together. You know, we were, there are magical moments in history when uh, you get a prime team together. All the big industries, I mean, Apple came together because a dream team was there. Infosys came together because of dream factors. Like that, Malguri came together because boom, the best, mm. a team that could give its best, that was at its best, the prime of its youth, all ticking, all wanting to do the same thing. You know, it is like winning a war. Yeah. They were all soldiers of the same age. And they were not tired soldiers. They were soldiers looking forward to making a dream happen. So I think Malgudi was just, uh, I don't think we would be able to replicate Malgudi today. That Malgudi. It, it will be a different one if Shankar yes. was alive. And uh, there is, I will not mince my words when I say that it is only the Malgudi days that Shankar Nag directed that are really collector's items. I agree. You have, you have another set of 36 episodes done by another director, but I think those are lacking. They are lacking in the acting quality, in the humor that Shankar Nag was able to bring into his characters, into the quality of editing, sheer quality, you know. Yeah. So when you buy the Malgudi days, you get one episode by Shankar Nag and one episode by someone else, and you can see the glaring difference. But uh, for Shankar, that was a beginning. If he had lived, he would have made Malgudi even better. Okay. He ha- he had just about got his handy on the medium, on the medium of television, on the medium of telling a story in twenty three minutes, on the medium of the serial that allows you uh, thirteen episodes. You can actually make a novel like Mender of Sweets in thirteen episodes. You can make Swami and Friends. In 13 episodes, you can edit it and make it into a movie also. Fantastic. And mind you, Shankar shot Malgudi days in 35 mm in those days. Wow. <laughs> it was we did not, we did not have digital cameras. And he shot it in Eastman color. So it's one of those very few television serials that are shot in Eastman color. And you can see the depth of field. Mm-hmm. You can see the background activity in Malguri days in Chakarnag's direction. You can see the train passing. You can see the clarity of image is not a digital image. 
of those days. So uh, he also had challenges. You did not have in-camera dissolves in those days. Studio dissolves were pathetic. You lost color in both the shots. So he was carrying a, an old Mitchell camera on the sets in which you were actually merging two shots and doing the dissolves in camera. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you did Brilliant. not have Polaroid cameras. You didn't have telephones with cameras. So you needed, a, you needed the best assistant director in, the, in India at that time was my sister, Pinti. Padmavati Rao, who was like a computer on the sets. Okay. Yeah. So she was, she would write down every dialogue as it was spoken so that it could be dubbed without a mistake, without a fault. This, that was, that was Malgudi days was complete magic, complete <laughs> magic. And we had people would come to act in those days, you know, nobody was talking about money. People were so excited to do Malgudi days that they, they came to uh, all the way to Agumbe. We shot the serial in Agumbe, which is a small town up in the Western Ghats. Mm -hmm. And uh, we shot there because the people were not starstruck. They allowed Shankarnag to shoot without being starstruck. He could, okay. he could go ahead and direct the serial and not be mobbed by crowds. Okay. And of course, the town did not have electrical wires all over. It was fairly untouched by uh, cement and development. Every actor, everybody from Bangalore's amateur theatre has done a role in Malgudi days. And all the lead actors who had a lot of Hindi dialogues, we would bring them from Bombay. They would just come. Nobody ever said, how much are you going to pay me? They came because of R.K. Narayan. They came because of Shankar Nath. They came just because they knew that they will get a good role in a good serial. And that was how it is. All the money was really spent in uh, the technical part of that serial uh, of staying out there in Agumbe with 100 juniors, with vehicles that were converted into period vehicles, converting the whole town. So we all got paid peanuts. And I, I saw some of the behind the scenes on YouTube also that uh, the, the kind of food preparation that used to happen for the whole set is, was amazing for so many people. They have to bring everything and arrange it. That was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. You know, there, there were in those days, there were no donkeys in Agumbe. Okay. So we had to transport donkeys. And uh, there is one particular episode called Engine Trouble. Okay. which has an, a road roller. So the road roller had to come on a truck. And then uh, the road roller had to be pulled out by an elephant in the story. So the, an elephant had to come to the place on by a truck. <laughs> yeah. It's great, great learning for all of us. You know, yes. we were young. We were hardly 32 years old. The whole team was between 35 and 32. That's how young we were. And to actually do Narayan and to create that period and to capture Narayan's sense of humor. Yeah. That was great. Great, great yes. learning for all of us. Absolutely. Even for the audience, it's a, it's a treat and it's a first time experience. Even today when you watch it, you have that freshness. Yeah. You have that authenticity of a village boy. 
you know and that's such a very well uh, captured that one moment where in swami and friends uh, swami has been told that he can't go and he's going to miss his cricket practice and there's a shaft of light yeah and uh, shankar got this boy to hold that shaft of light on the palm of his hand yes and he may holds it and he makes it into a ball and he bowls <laughs> yes <laughs> such a cute thing is yeah that is so yeah. so young boyish yeah now what was the vision behind establishing rangashankara was it that you saw a gap back then yes yes indeed when uh, shankar and i came uh, from bombay to bangalore this is 1978 uh, okay 78 yes and uh, we did anjumalige in 1978 79 okay so by then shankar had already come his first movie had already released and uh, he had done his first commercial film also okay and then it struck him that he theater was a necessity for him and not just a dream he called me up and said i want to establish a theater group and i will go mad if i don't do drama if i don't do theater so please help me i want to do a play and uh, we did girish karnad's anjumalige okay that was the first play that he directed in kannada and the first play that i acted in kannada okay anant nag played the lead role he played the brother i played the sister okay and ramesh bhat was also acting in it so uh, quite a, uh, a few of the team that stayed on till the end with him was there okay. in anjumalige the footprint had already kind of there by then okay and um doing theater was like literally a, a, a necessity for both of us for me to i think if i did not do theater i would have gone back to bombay and uh, shankar knew that so he did not want to lose his girlfriend and uh, he said okay let's continue doing theater <laughs> <laughs> so after anjumalige comes minchinota he directs his first film and uh, then we got married at the end of that film after that film was ready we got married <laughs> we had been courting each other for 6 years before that okay so uh, shankar was all of 25 when we got married Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so the chronology takes you back to 18 years. Yeah. I, he was 18 years old when I met him, I guess, okay. 18, 19, whatever. Yeah. So that is uh uh when we came to Bangalore, we came from a Bombay uh training which had a Bombay that had Gujarati theater, Hindi theater, Marathi theater, quite an abundance of the languages. because of the melting melting pot that bombay is mm. and both shankar and i were engaged in practicing in, uh, in performing in marathi gujarati and hindi theater right and yeah. in such a situation we come to bangalore and we do a kannada play because there was no way we could have done a marathi play in bangalore in 1979 mm. bangalore was not cosmo- as cosmopolitan as it is now yeah so and also we wanted to get assimilated in the the ecosystem of karnataka bangalore shankar was already acting in kannada movies 
So it was the most natural thing was to actually do Kannada theatre. And uh, also our heroes were Kirish Karnad, Chandrasekhar Kambar, Karant. All these were our heroes. Benaka was already here. So okay. the first home we went to when we landed in Bangalore, when I landed in Bangalore, was Prema Karant and Karant's house. And we told them that we want to do this play. And they stretched their arms out and helped us with finding actors, finding rehearsal space. So the Kannada theater people welcomed us and we became part of them. Yeah. Wow. So uh, the, that was our experience with our first play. And here were these Anant Nag and Shankar Nag, both of them matinee <coughs> idol heroes who were doing a play. And uh, here was me. Nobody knew me. Arundhati Rao, who is she? Priya Tendulkar, who is she? And we were girlfriends. Priya was okay. Anand's girlfriend and Arundhati was Shankar's girlfriend. Okay. So the two brothers played this very clever trick of calling their girlfriends to act so that they can spend time with them. Yeah. <laughs> and we had to learn Kannada. Okay which is so difficult at that time for me. I had to learn Kannada doing the lead role. And Adu Girish Karnad, Girish Karnad bariyo Kannada kashta adu. Dharwad Kannada barita His characters speak a Dharwad dialect. So I had to really work very, very hard to do the play. And I remember the first show, my God, the people had come to see the stars, Shankar Nag and Anant Nag, and they had not come to see us. And Shankar played the role of a racist British driver, lorry driver. Okay. Who comes, who comes on stage at a moment when the leading lady who, that I was playing is having a nervous breakdown. Yeah. And he, he came on stage and we had rockets and money coming flying from the balcony on stage because their favorite hero had arrived. Yeah. And I asked Shankar under, under my whispered voice, I said, what the hell is going on over here? And he said, just continue, just continue. I'm sorry, please just continue. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my first experience over here. But yes, when we came to Bangalore, we realized Bangalore had only one theater and that was Ravindra Kalakshetra. Okay. And uh, Ravindra Kalakshetra was among many theatres that were built on the uh, German large theatres pattern. Okay, so this was the Nehruvian ideal image for India, that India should have these big theatres where operas could be performed and big dramas could be performed. Every Capital city in India has a Ravindra Bhavan. Bombay has a Ravindra Natya Mandir. Calcutta has a Ravindra Bhavan. Delhi has something Ravindra. They are almost twins of one another. Okay. And they are the only theatres that were available in those days for us to do our box set colonial theatre influenced drama. There were no small theatres. So if you had, if you applied for a date in Ravindra Kalakshetra, today you will get a date after three months. And you will get only one date, which means you could only do four shows in a year. 
Yeah, you could only do four performances in a year. And I came from a Bombay where I was doing a minimum of at least 25 shows a month. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I said, my God, four shows a year. So I don't even need to come to Bangalore. <laughs> yeah. He had already gotten married by then. So then we said, no, we have to work towards at least making this city have a couple of smaller theatres where you don't need to fall into the trap of a thousand seats that you have to fill. Smaller theatres so that we can do more shows. Mm. Yeah. And uh, the dream of Ranga Shankara was born then. We we really wanted a theatre for Bangalore. And during Shankar's lifetime, we did uh, try to, you know, ask Chitrakala Parishat if they would allow us to build a theatre over there. They had land. And uh, they came up to a point, they allowed us to perform Nagamandla over there. But uh, uh, I think they were worried that uh, this superstar Shankar Nag will hijack that the atmosphere of the Chitrakala Parishad, which is a fine arts academy. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't blame them. I wouldn't blame them at all. And then we tried to build a theater at the Suchitra Film Society. And uh, they had an open air theater, which also, again, they also had the same fear that uh, this might become a film, uh, a popular cinema space. Okay. They did not understand what Shankar Nag's plan was. And then uh, Shankar was gone after that. So I think we all who were with him, of course, took us, took us very, very long to find our bearings and our feet back on the ground. But that dream continued in our minds, you know, that uh, of course we want a theater because theater is what we do. Theater mm-hmm. is what we know how to do. And uh, I, I was also wounded in the accident. So I was... Uh, incapacitated for almost nine months, 10 months, I was in a wheelchair and uh, I had to learn how to walk again. But uh, the last conversation that Shankar and I had was, uh, shall we do mother courage when we come back from our shooting? And uh, so when I was in the hospital, Surendra Nath was a close friend of ours. Mm -hmm. Suri and I translated, uh, adapted the play mother courage which is a classic of world theater written by Bertolt Brecht, who was a German writer. And uh, we adapted the play. And for Shankar's first death anniversary, we did that play as a tribute to him. Wow, fantastic. So you see, it. this is where, uh, this is just to give you an insight into the way we theater people think, how, what, what the theater means to us. So without making it into a cry story, without making it into uh, a life of tragedy, uh, what we did was we converted the loss into a strength and uh, we converted a last conversation into a play. We made that last conversation happen, something he would have liked to do, which would Mm. have happened if he was alive, the play would have happened. And uh, we did it. People do shraddhas and uh, all sorts of things for death anniversaries. Yes. Uh, we did the play. And uh, all of Bangalore's theatre actually came together and did three plays that he would have liked to do in his lifetime. One, one was Girish Karnad's Tale Danda, a very, very beautiful play. 
another uh, was uh, Peter Sheffer's Royal Hunt of the Sun. And the third was uh, Bertolt Brecht's Mother Courage. So we, we, uh, we, were, we did a festival of three plays as a tribute to him. And that is how Shankar was loved. And that is how we theater people think, you know. Mm. So in doing a play for your, somebody's death anniversary is, comes very naturally to us. Doing a play that somebody else wanted to do but did not have the fortune to live long enough to do comes naturally to us. Fulfilling somebody's dream comes naturally. And that in that is also fulfilling our dream. In fact, wow. on the day when I was, when I was performing, Mm. Uh, Mother Courage, the first show, I was uh, in a bit of a state, you know, mentally, I was a little disturbed or shaky because uh, ever since the age of 17, I have, whenever I went on stage, I knew that Shankar was there on this planet. Mm. I knew he was alive, even if he was not in the same city, I knew he was alive. Even if I had fought with him, I knew he was alive. I knew he was somewhere in Lucknow, Hyderabad, he was somewhere. I knew that. But here was the first time in my life I knew he did not exist on this planet. And that was a very different position that I was in. I was afraid that the thought that he is not around might enter my mind and disturb my performance. I might fail in my performance. And I took my entry on stage and I knew that Nothing can come between me and my theater, not even Shankar. I knew that he can, nobody can come between me and my theater. I will do my show. And that Shankar can only be a strength. He cannot be my weakness. So that, those are, that's the DNA of a theater space that wanted to come into existence. And so we, we kept on at it, you know, it's not as though we had the money to do Ranga Shankara immediately because uh, when Shankar passed away, we had a lot of financial responsibilities and uh, it took me almost 10 years to fulfill those responsibilities, okay. to breathe again. And, uh, but I continued to do theater. I continued to do a play a year till uh, we decided to do the theater. And uh, the rest is history. The rest is running around, begging for money, uh, running from pillar to post, asking people to help us make a dream come true. Uh, but everything was this energy working towards making a theater happen for the theater community of Bangalore, for the theater community of India, for the next generation of artists, who can dream who, for the crucible that is going to become the next Petra dish for creativity. And I think uh, pretty much that's where we are. Today we are in a pandemic. Yeah. So Ranga Shankara is now 17 years old. Yes. And it is uncanny the way Ranga Shankara came into being. That's another story. That's a huge story because... I became the heroine of the project. I'm the poster mm -hmm. girl of the project. Everyone thinks I'm the heroine because I'm Shankar's wife. And oh my God, she built a Taj Mahal in memory of her husband. But that's not 
100% of the truth because uh, nobody can fulfill a dream like Ranga Shankara all alone. I happened to be alone. Mm-hmm. I was alone because Shankar was not there. Yeah, If I had gone, he would have built the theater. Somebody would have built this theater because I think the dream, the, 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 the seed was so, so powerful. The need of a performance space that is affordable, that is world-class, that is uh, secular, that inclusive, and is not only about money, is about quality, world-class. So it, it was so many things that Seed had so many good ideas in it. It had to come and become a reality. And I was, I was the driving force. I was, I was the mother who provided the placenta to the baby, you know. So the nourishment was going through me. But it was not only me. There were people, people who have contributed unconditionally, given their time. Some gave money, some gave time. And I think the ones who gave time, it was very valuable because otherwise I was really alone. I have friends, I have an auditor friend. I don't understand money at all. And I was raising money from people left, right and center. Who was looking after the money being spent wisely, being taken, audited and kept safe for the accounts to be clean like a whistle because it's a trust. It's a not-for-profit trust. Who was doing all that? There's this auditor friend who was teaching me how to do, how to run a trust. There were other friends. There's, there was a friend called Nirmala. There was a person called Suman Puri who was working in Thomas Cook Travels. But every Wednesday, these friends came to meet me and I would tell them, okay, I went to so-and-so company and that company said, come back after one year. And these friends would say, don't lose heart. Go again, go after one month. <laughs> So I had a bouncing board of friends who just did not allow me to lose heart. And they were not industrialists. They were not from the film industry. They were not super rich people. They were ordinary people who gave me their time. So we have had people giving five rupees. I had one IT professional boy who gave me uh, checks of 500 rupees over three years, post-dated checks. (laughs) Every month. He signed the checks and he gave them to me. He said, I I am a salaried man, but I can give you this much money. And I had one of India's richest people, of course, give us 60 lakhs in one check. There you are. So... Uh, this is this is a dream come true. This is a dream. The dream has not failed the people who gave money and strength to it. And I hope I'm able to bring in the next generation because right now for me, succession has become a, the next dream. The next dream for Ranga Shankara is what will Ranga Shankara become next? What will this pandemic uh, do to the artist community? What will happen to creativity? India is going through one of the most monstrous times. Yes. It is a test, test of humanity. 
what is going on over here in Delhi and in the crematoriums and the hospitals is really testing mankind. How good can you be in the face of such a tragedy? How neutral can you be? How fair can you be? How greedy can you become? You know, it really tests humanity. How greedy, if you are already a greedy person, how much more greedy can you become? Yeah. By, by charging, by charging 15,000 rupees for a drive in your ambulance. Mm. How are you going to meet your God and your maker? There is going to be a day of reckoning somewhere. You Very will good. have to look at your face, you know. So this is like, this is a whole existential problem that we are going through. And uh, art is going to be the only space which can heal you. This is where this is going to hold the stories of horror. This is going to hold the stories of healing. Art is going to be the bridge that is going to help people to come back to some sense of normalcy. So I think Ranga Shankara has a huge responsibility, even bigger than before. We had just reached a level in 17 years of saying that, ah, this is so wonderful. Now people trust us and some people are giving us a little money. We will really make livelihoods happen. We will make sustainability happen. We will reward those who create excellent work. And now everybody is sitting at home. How can the goodness of man come out in such a time? Only in art. Only in the capacity to convert one energy into another. Only in the way I can tell your story. I can, can I tell your story to you? Mm. Like Lavakusha tell the story of Rama to Rama. Can I tell your story to you? So th these, this is my really my quandary right now about how I know that performances are not going to happen for a long time to come for people to trust coming together again for the vaccine to be given to India, to its whole population, for children to come back. My God, what, what a life the children have had. No schools having to yeah. sit at home, no play, no play, no trust. What, what are these adults going to be? Who are they going to be? So I think the task of uh, retaining mankind's qualities are going to be on our shoulders, on the shoulders of people who dare to create. And that is where I will, I would reach out to people in the world and say that, please, please keep in touch with the arts. Keep in touch with the crafts because they are about being human. Keep, keep the heritage properties going because heritage is the result of the churning of millions of years of mankind's knowledge. It is not only about education, it's about knowledge. And we owe it, we owe it to ourselves, we owe it to the generations that are 
unfortunately caught in this fracture of time it should theater be then part of education system uh. absolutely absolutely it must germany has used it very very beautifully as part of education as part of nation building as part of healing okay after i mean if, if hitler used it as for his mind calm and to brainwash people uh post world war germany used it very beautifully to heal very beautifully they have built a very very positive uh using theater to build the next generation of children they have a very vibrant theater for children program they have done a lot of research on the human brain and its receptivity to concepts of presence and absence and therefore life and death if presence is life and death is absence then how do you deal with it they tell these stories to children to be able to deal with and presence and absence even in relationships in human relationships to understand them presence and absence in kindness presence and absence in grace you know how how can just the concept of presence and absence be continued in so many ways and that is where art comes into play so i i would really rangashankara has invested very heavily in uh, creating a very robust theater for children program and in our own way we have been able to take theater to uh, underprivileged homes children from underprivileged economic backgrounds because they would never get to see a play otherwise in a country like ours government school children mm-hmm. so we try we have tried to make it into a fairly equal uh, exposure where uh, we bring children from schools that can pay for it mm-hmm. and then that money is used to bring children from schools who can't pay for it fantastic so long as we so long as somebody some sponsor gives us enough money to pay the actors we are fine yeah but but the content content is very important and i think rangashankara is on the right track in that sense where uh, we are not doing fantasies and uh, loud comedies for children we are really doing theater of content for them without taking them their childhood away from them if someone wants to build physical space for theater today uh, in future yeah. is it going to be uh, sustainable uh, do you think they can make it sustainable i think uh, it is the duty of society to keep art alive fantastic i really think it is it, this is a very very social space and it's not about only building temples and uh, bore wells you need to have human beings yeah it's it's not about only putting that kirita on diamond kirita for some god in some temple it is about investing in giving to the poor of the country the child the most helpless the weakest section because i think we are doomed to receive culture in large doses we live we are born in delhi brought up in bombay married into bangalore i am an extremely privileged citizen of this country i got the best that indian democracy could give can i share this 
can I share it with my less privileged uh, people who just because of the accident of birth were born in a village in a Dalit family, were not born Brahmin, who were born in a system that is driven by the caste system in our country. That's a, there, I think there, there are huge, huge issues and uh, each of us has to do what we believe. I do not want to say that anybody is wrong. But, uh, I will do what I can. Fantastic. And so, uh, as, therefore, it is important for Rangashankara's reality is it is a theater in Bangalore. It is a geographical space, but it can definitely extend its outreach into smaller spaces. And I, we have actually given a call out. We will start more actively once the pandemic is over. Uh, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. A friend who runs a studio in uh, a small town on the border of Maharashtra and Gujarat has bought the dream of Rangashankara. He's completely smitten by it and says, I want to do something for my town. And we are helping him to design a black box theater. We are doing the transfer of vision and mission and technology to him. We will put a team together and we will take our world-class theater to this small town called Umbargao, mm -hmm. which is on the border of Gujarat and Maharashtra. Three and a half hours away from Bombay. That's all. And uh, there's enough to do for the people of Gujarat. If every person, I know um, all our industrialists come from some small town. Mm -hmm. If they can just build small Rangashankara type of theaters in their small towns, and every town has a rich family. Every town has rich families, whether it is Belagao or Dharwad or Correct. wherever. They are not small towns. You have a paper mill, you'll have something like that. And you know the amount of money you need to run a Rangashankara type of theater for one year is, is peanuts. Okay. Is peanuts with good salaries and the money that we generate. Yeah, we generate because we, we are the cheapest, the most affordable theater in the world. We charge 2,500 rupees for a whole day. Wow. <laughs> at the theater, even today, 17 years down the road. That's what the rent was 17 years ago. We have not changed our rentals because we believe that if you make a place affordable, people will come. When we opened Rangashankara, there were 50 theater groups in Bangalore. In 17 years, we have 200. Wow. They are youngsters who come together, pool money, 500, 500, 2,500 rupees, you can do a show. And we, of course, charge you 10% of your ticket sales. So you are not allowed to sell the ticket above 500 rupees. And if you sell only two tickets, then you give us only 10% on two tickets. Only when you sell a houseful show, you will make money and then you share a bit of that money with us. So that 
kind of logistics that that module actually gives us we our outgoings are around uh, 90 lakhs a year yeah salaries and uh, diesel for the generator maintenance housekeeping security everything inclusive mm-hmm yeah is around that much and uh, we have two companies that give us 10 lakhs every year with that much money we run the place wow <laughs> phenomenal just just 20 lakhs to top up to top up the losses just 20 lakhs is not even a quarter page ad in the hindu for one right. day You know, so, so I have realized that uh, if you run, of course, we run a very tight ship right now. I'm, I'm grappling with trying to find money to employ a few more people who will be paid better, mm-hmm. so that uh, because I work free now, I want to step aside. But uh, I don't expect the next youngster to work free. I want to pay him or her a good salary, so that she will serve the theater for the next forty years. Yeah. Yes. So <laughs> that is required but we have nine people running Rangashankara today. Nine people in program and admin who run a theater that has 400 performances a year and we do four festivals we produce four new plays every year. We do that much with this much money. You know, so it's it is a module. It's a workable module that should go to a small town. Why shouldn't a small town like Shringeri have hmm. a Rangashankara type of theater? Fantastic question. Absolutely. Why shouldn't a small town like Dharampuri somewhere have a or Guwahati? None of them have. They have com- community halls where Shahrukh Khan can also go and dance. you see but the philosophy of rangashankara is that when you go to a lawyer you do not get medical advice so we are a place that knows who we are we are a theater that was built for theater for drama for performance practice if you want to do disco dance please go to the community hall mm. you want to do film music you can go to the community hall you want to do film dance program please go there you want to do tuglak you want to do girish karnad you want to do shakespeare you come to us fantastic and 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 by providing this model you know that's what i have been talking in couple of episodes i said cricket is so popular because you can take a bat go on to the street and play can we make theaters affordable and i found my answer today finally that rangashankara stood with those values making it affordable yeah. and then people can you know come up as you said from 50 to 200 uh, theater groups today it's a phenomenal increase yeah now that's why the next challenge is to actually have uh, i want my dream is that it be at least in the next 5 years five more theaters like this smaller than this also is okay because we are just a 300 seat auditorium and uh, we are like a no frills auditorium a black box if five such theaters come up in the country then 
there would be jobs for artistic directors there would be mm-hmm. jobs for lighting designers there would be jobs for set designers mm-hmm. the performers these 200 groups will mm-hmm. become multiplied by five cities they will the, the best of these 400 shows that happen in rangashankara will begin to travel to those five cities or those five towns a boy growing up in a small town like kota do you know the the tragedy of india is that a, a town like kota has all the ias officers of tomorrow getting trained over there yes and iits those tuition yeah. those tuition classes yes. for iit and ias officers are in kota yeah a small town in north india but those boys and girls who are going to decide the future of india do not get to see world class art because kota does not have a rangashankara and if those fellows who are minting money hands over heels doing classes could just understand that if they create a small 300 seat auditorium what value they will add to the lives of those boys whom they are treating like cattle absolutely very well said because you know uh, they become engineers probably the best engineers but without empathy and that's where today standing at this point where i'm seeing engineering without empathy and and theater and all this art teaches empathy compassion and all these things that's what an engineer is lacking or this tech professionals are lacking and then they are going into this midlife crisis not understanding what it is and i feel yeah. that <laughs> so that was the void and that's the questioning i think uh, um ma'am today i have got answers to several of these questions you have answered actually i stopped asking questions to you this is the first time it happened oh ever i'm because... so talkative <laughs> no no because you exactly answered the questions in the format i have written and then i said i'm not going to talk you know ask questions oh. at all because it's much more than what i could have expected really fantastic i mean oh. i said i i wrote i wrote a question about philosophy of rangashankar how do you raise funding and how do you these things be included in education and the impact of it and how, should there be uh, more theaters and how because in one of the interviews i see you saying that you are ready standing to share the knowledge of uh, making new theaters in the country to share that touched upon so many points you know it was fantastic i mean i couldn't ask Thank more you. from, no, from this has been uh, such a learning such a humbling exercise you know when you when success comes to you there are only two ways it can treat you either you become arrogant or it humbles you completely it just kind of puts you down showing you that you don't know anything <laughs> so suddenly i am confronted with this journey of uh, from my age of 16 i started doing theater i'm 65 this year and suddenly i'm asking myself questions like what is the kind of theater i'm going to create for the children of tomorrow what do i know about the world that i'm leaving behind for them i am completely flummoxed i'm lost i i have lost the battle because uh, i feel i do not know enough i do not know the future of politics in this world anymore i do not know the future of the rivers i do not know the future of uh, what people are going to do with dna 
Yeah. I don't know the future of relationships. And my yardstick for kindness is what I know. I don't know what I'm going to leave behind for the next. So it's a very, very humbling uh, journey. And I, I only know that something is right over here in the world that I inhabit. I know something is right, something beyond religion, something beyond politics, something beyond money is happening over here. And I have been fortunate to be in, in, in its midst for the last 50 years. And I would like to share this before I leave this planet, you know. So it's, it's that kind of a now, that kind of a hurry I'm in, that I want to share the goodness that I got. Because it gave me, it gave me such a beautiful survival kit that I have survived the tragedies in my life with a smile, with grace, without becoming bitter. And uh, that, that came to me because of my theater. It has come to me because of what theater gave me. Of course, my parents gave me my DNA. Of course, my mother-in-law taught me how to be a better human being. But uh, my, my theater gave me a lot. My theater really helped me to survive. So what can I give back? Now this pandemic has come like one more, like mm. a last challenge maybe in my life. If uh, it's almost like whoever is in charge of creation says this woman is looking too happy. <laughs> she, she's, she's looking like she has achieved her, everything she wanted in life. Come on, let's give it to her. Come on, let's let's give her the knowledge that she has not done anything, that there's a lot more to do. And uh, if there is a pandemic now, what are you going to do? You know, so you build a theater, you run around for 20 years with a dream and you build a theater, you run it for 17 years and you come to this point of clarity mm. and suddenly it's all zero again. So how how do you... Suppose theatres don't open ever again. Hmm. What will Rangashankara be? So Rangashankara, that question came to me in the first wave of the pandemic. What we hmm. did was we invited some of the Corona warrior youngsters to pack grains for migrants. Mm -hmm. And we became a distribution center for grains. We were distributing sanitary napkins to poor migrants from here. And uh, now we are going to be looking at a, a vaccination and cooked food. And uh, maybe we might become a hospital. Who knows? Mm. Because we have, we have running water. We have clean toilets. And uh, we have a large foyer. So I guess it's almost, you know, that everybody has to uh, be ready. Be ready to change. Be ready to share. It's almost like, did you see that movie called Dr. Zhivago? Yeah. <laughs> in which one peasant walks into the house and takes that coat yeah. and says, you don't need it. That's a revolution. Mm. That's a revolution. So we are going to have the revolution of emotions. We are going to have the revolution of people not having the capacity to share. 
and that's that's where again ranga shankara will have to i hope we will be able to we will be able, if there is a need will we be able to say okay come on put a hundred beds over here it was really really pleasure talking to you uh, ma'am it was indeed an honor and in this one and a half hour or so there were so many moments that were really touching to my heart so deep whether when you spoke about shankar sir whether you spoke about your journey uh, before and after i think it was we are really honored to have you for ta- taking time and sharing thank you thank you keep in touch i guess i have to say to everybody stay safe and uh, keep reaching out to whomever you can to so that brings us to an end of episode 11 of season 2 the resilient entrepreneurs i hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation on indian entrepreneur do not forget to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on instagram and facebook for quick updates we catch you soon on our next episode where we will be talking to entrepreneurs from performing arts landscape of india have a good day